Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowen Branch and how you can discover this new level of softness with their iconic sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% responded that Bowen Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They source the rarest 100% organic cotton for an incredible softness to start. Then they skip the toxins and harsh chemicals for a natural feel unlike anything else. And it all comes together with their signature weave. This special design feels buttery, breathable, and unlocks new levels of softness with every wash. And they stand behind their promise of softness. With their 30-night guarantee, you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. If during the 30 nights you don't love your sheets or feel them getting softer and softer, you can send them right back, no questions asked. So head to bowlandbranch.com for 15% off your first order with code RESTFUL15. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the WTF1 podcast with me, Harry Benjamin, and him, Callan O'Keefe. And on the show today, a look ahead to the second sprint weekend of the season in Austria. Uh, we have also got the latest driver transfer rumours. We've got cost cap rumours too, along with your questions answered, starting with some of the most crucial, and this is coming from Average Latifi fan. Would you rather fight one Max Verstappen-sized Yuki Sonoda or a hundred Yuki Sonoda-sized Verstappens? Callan, what's your take? Well, finally, the question we've all been waiting for. I feel like it's it's been a lifetime in the making answering this one. Um, <laughs> many factors to consider here. First and foremost, the levels of aggression. You know, are you really going to be able to fight off 100, be it smaller, Verstappen aggressive? Um, the, you know, I think I'd probably take on the one. I think Yuki is pretty wholesome. You could distract him with food, you know, you just show him some nice hospitality, some nice catering, and he'd be away. So mm, I think mm, I'd stand mm. the best chance against against Yuki. What what about you though? Well, I did I was having a little bit of research here. So Yuki is a little over <laughs> five foot two, which is one point five nine meters. Uh, Max is a little over five foot eleven, one point eight one meters, uh, for those who don't do feet. So I would think the obvious answer is you would just fight one Max Verstappen-sized Yuki Sonoda. No? Smaller. Is he, I think the real question is, is he hungry? If Yuki's hungry, then it makes it much easier. If he's well-fed and you can't distract him with food, then I think he would be quite aggressive. And with that level of height, he'd be quite difficult to fight off, I think. Well... There's your answers then. Let us know what you think. One Max Verstappen size Yuki Sonoda or 100 Yuki Sonoda size Max Verstappens. Which one would you rather fight? Thank you very much. Uh, average Latifi fan, wherever you wherever you are in the world. Uh, that's the important, crucial information out of the way. Uh, next up, it actually is some breaking news as we record. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds uh, and Rob McElhenney. You heard of them? Two Hollywood A-listers. Well, one of them's a Hollywood A-lister. The other one is quite famous. Um, but they're, of course, very well known for taking over the Wrexham Football Club uh, in the UK or in Wales and uh, saw the side win promotion back to the Football League this year. Brilliant documentary about it all as well. And it's just been announced that they are part of a group taking 20 4% equity stake in Alpine. So basically, they're investing in Alpine uh, with a bunch of other people. Um, Alpine now valued at well over like £700 million. One of the co-investors is also Michael B. Jordan. This is insane. I did, I did not wake up thinking this was the kind of news I was going to get on a Monday morning. 
I mean, if someone would have said, are you going to fight a Max Verstappen-sized Yuki Tsunoda, I would have thought that was more likely than Ryan Reynolds investing in Formula One. Like, how how left of field is that? But I, I think it's actually a really strong move by Alpen. If you look at how he's managed to take Wrexham, who aren't, uh, you know, they're not exactly a powerhouse in football. Mm. And the level of popularity they now have, what he's done for the club in terms of the way that they've marketed it, the way that they've built the club up, and also... They've been successful. They've gained promotion, which is not, you know, it's not a mean feat in football by any stretch. So this could be, we could be looking back at one of the most bizarre, but tactically brilliant moves that a Formula One team's ever done. What do you think it means though for, for Alpine? I mean, they're what? They're fifth in the constructors. They've got this 100 race plan to get back to the top, which, which you know, looks like it still is a bit of a way off. But this is a massive massive investment because it's not just these guys it's a couple of um big investment companies as well who have stakes in uh other global sports football and and uh american sports as well so obviously it's good for alpine but is this suddenly gonna jump them up to being a front runner i i don't think this is gonna be it, it's not like you know hiring adrian Newey, where all of a sudden i think all of your problems disappear if, if you're a race team you could quite quickly get to the front if you hired someone of that technical brilliance I think where we might see the benefit is how they, how, you know, how they grow as a brand, and and that obviously also can lead to success. Kind of the more popular you can make yourself as a Formula One team, the more interest you can generate, the more you can get fans behind you, the more capital you have at stake, the more people want to be associated with you, the better the people, and it's kind of like a snowball effect, isn't it? And I think one of the interesting points you mentioned is obviously they the the sort of global company that's coming in. They have experience with other sports as well, and it may bring a unique perspective because I think sometimes with any sport you get locked in your ways of what's right by the sport and maybe some unique perspective could could bring something completely different in and, and give them a little bit of an edge, that, you know, the tiny margins that make a difference. So let's see how that develops. But I, d- I don't think it's a bad thing. I can't see it working against them personally. Well, the, the only thing I, I would think of is obviously it's worked amazingly for them in football, particularly obviously Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, but football and Formula One, although both big global sports, football is bigger than Formula One globally, and the money required in Formula One just seems it's more of a bottomless pit than than I think football is because you get more tangible return in football as as they've seen with Wrexham in Formula One with with a team like Alpine who you know they're not they're not back of the grid they're not top they're kind of plumb in the middle are they're not going to see the as quick a turnaround as they saw with Wrexham. No, no, I don't think they're going to see like a, it's not going to be a quick turnaround, is it? Like, let's be honest as well. And it's it's also how far are you willing to step away? You know, if, if you're coming in and making radical change, how far are you willing to step away from the DNA or the, the culture of the company? That's a huge question to ask, isn't it? Because they're going to come in with loads of ideas, potentially. How far outside of the comfort zone of, of the corporation are you willing to step on you? So I think it's like a risk versus reward, isn't it? But, you know, interesting, we've seen how Formula One can explode. I mean... You know, viewership was on the decline. And then obviously stuff like Drive to Survive massively increases popularity because... Oh, they're going to the, love this, aren't they? <laughs> the, yeah, the, prob- the biggest problem with Formula One is it's a closed world. You know, the, the drivers have helmets which hide their emotions. Obviously, we're getting to see more of an insight. Teams are super secretive about what they do because their secrets are their speed. And I think anything that makes Formula One more accessible and makes it more understandable to to everyone will only make it grow in popularity. And I, I really welcome people from non-motorsport backgrounds coming in and adding a fresh and unique perspective. And again, if we see 
a massive upturn and we see something different and it works and it's successful, other teams will jump on the same bandwagon and hopefully it's only good for the sport. I can't wait to to see the Drive to Survive clip where it's Pierre Gasly explaining what DRS is to Ryan Reynolds and him going absolutely ballistic about it. So, so I he, cannot he, wait. You know how we're getting Brad Pitt in a free practice. Can we get oh, Ryan yeah. Reynolds out for an Alpine, oh. an Alpine debut, like a, a special T-car, a third yeah. car, send him out for a free practice oh. just to see what happens. Wait, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds is... He's not. He's Canadian, isn't he? I'm pretty sure. I believe so. I think he is. Oh, so we've already had Montreal. That's a shame. But he'll definitely come out to surely Las Vegas, surely Austin, if not before then. I mean, one one Canadian goat leaves the sport and another one enters. Isn't that great news? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Big up. Big up, Reynolds. Um, uh, average Latifi fan, not happy by that comment. Anyway, um, thank you very much, Anyway, uh, to all your questions coming in, uh, none, bizarrely, on that Alpine news, but actually it only just broke, so fair enough. But let's see what happens with Alpine. Loads of questions, though, in on driver market rumours. It's starting to starting to kick into action, isn't it? The, the driver silly circus, and the main crux of it at the moment seems to be around Red Bull Alpha Tauri in particular and Daniel Ricciardo, who... I think a lot of people up until now were maybe thought once you leave F1, even if you're Daniel Ricciardo, coming back is a tall order, especially when, let's be honest, his pace had declined over the last couple of years. You know, put the win in Monza aside, it, it wasn't it wasn't good for Daniel Ricciardo. But now it seems like maybe he's got a second lease of life and he's been coming out and saying, well, you know, I, don't, I, I would like to finish my career Red Bull if that means, you know, working my way up to be there. I'm down to do that. And I think a lot of people have taken... That as well. Alpha Tower, you've got a driver who's under pressure for next year. In comes Ricardo. Well, I, I think the problem is as well, they've they've got a fairly competitive package. You know, Sonoda's doing a really good job. So they can't afford to I mean to Alpha keep... Tauri are last. So. <laughs> yeah, but what, what I'm what I'm saying is like you they're last because, you know, if you don't have two drivers pushing forward in Formula One, you get left behind. And we're kind of seeing it a little bit with Aston Martin as well. You've got Fernando Alonso absolutely leading the charge. Lance Stroll lagging behind and, and Formula One, especially in the midfield now, is so close. You can't afford to have any weak link. You really can't. So it's not a surprise that the chats are happening. Obviously, everyone knows. I just I just want to see the free succeed. But if if it's at the detriment of, of Alpha Tauri, then and equally, if it's at the the gain of Daniel Ricardo, I would I'd quite like to see him come back in and see what he can do. I mean, as you said. He seems to have like this newfound enthusiasm. He's back in a place which has brought him a lot of success before. And we kind of forget as well, Daniel Ricciardo came to the sport so young when he debuted with HRT. I mean- Yeah, can you believe people forget that? It's it's been ages. And Formula One is is such an intense environment after 10 years or so, whatever it's been. I kind of think it was 2013 he debuted, Um, maybe even earlier. I think it was Uh, 2012, you know. Yeah, it it was- it was. We're, we're no, talking. It, wasn't. Like, it was 2011. It was 2011. 2011. 2012 was Toro Rosso first year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Actually, yeah. So we came in. Was it Silverstone? Was the Silverstone, first race, wasn't it? HRT, yeah. I think probably like replacing Carthagena or somebody like that. What a what a Hispania <laughs> racing team. That's a blast from the past, isn't it? But yeah, he's he's been in the sport for so long. He's been under that pressure. He's he's you know, and he was always at the front. There was always pressure for performance. He never really had that that like developmental phase. He went straight into the Red Bull stable. So I'm not yeah. surprised by the end of it, he was a bit burnt out. But taking a year off, refining your love of the sport, refining love away from Formula One. And, you know, everyone always says a happy driver is a fast driver. So I'd quite like to see what he can do. I think if he comes in and, and starts to make some waves, it could be 
Daniel Ricciardo version 2.0. I mean, a lot of people would love to see him back, but for at Fernando El Plano has said on Twitter, why is nobody talking about Liam Lawson? Realistically, he should be in contention for Nick DeVries' seat, but he isn't. Liam Lawson, Red Bull Junior, uh, was Formula 2 last year, pretty solid. Currently uh, a championship contender in Super Formula out in Japan. He's done DTM, he beat Albon and DTM. Why is nobody talking about Lawson? I think it's because Lawson really struggled in F2. I mean, obviously, you know, he was at the front, but we always base off of, especially like motorsport, we we kind of base everything off of the region. So Europe, America, Asia. And if someone's successful in Asia, we don't necessarily think that that's going to translate across, even though they're racing drivers at such a high level. I mean, anyone that knows Super Formula, if you just watch an onboard of those cars, you see how ludicrously fast they are. It's not far away from a Formula One car. So if you can drive against a good grid over in, you know, over in Asia, then in theory, you should deserve a shot in a, in a similar level car. So I think maybe it's because he's just too far away. He's on a different time zone for everyone else. Um, but I, again, another driver that'd be really interesting, didn't necessarily have the results in, in Formula 2, but, you know, gone away, rebuilding himself, drivers continually get better and a very worthy candidate of the seat, I would say. I mean, he still finished third at F2 in his second year um, with... Carlin, but he was a little bit of a way off the top two in terms of points. But you're, it's interesting about being in Japan, you know, and doing Super Formula. Everyone sees that, I think, as a there's like F2, then it's like Super Formula in terms of pure performance. And then F1 is the next best thing. But we've had other F1 drivers come from Super Formula or done stints like Gasly, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn did a bit. Um, I think if you go way back when it was like called formula nippon it was michael oh, schumacher doing it yeah. and and so obviously the transfer is there but it almost feels like he he obviously did f2 there wasn't anywhere for him to go other than be a bit of a reserve so so what do they do they send them to japan for a year go and do that keep kind of race sharp but maybe it's a good thing actually nobody's really talking about him much to be a replacement because he could just kind of it keeps the pressure off he can do his own thing in japan put in the good results because really it's a risk do you put it's a risk either way do you put daniel ricardo back in um who might not be good enough anymore or do you put liam lawson in who is untapped potential perhaps or fair play to him do you keep devries because we're still not even halfway through the year yet well, I, this is this is the constant balance, isn't it? It's all about performance. I think the thing with motorsport is known quantities are generally the safest option, aren't they, for huge deals of investment? So we know Daniel Ricciardo's a race winner, multiple race winner. We know how good he is. We've we've seen him against some of the best in the sport and take him on and, and beat them. So okay, yeah, the last few years of McLaren were difficult, but within the stable of where he's at now, he was successful. He did mm. a really really good job. So he's the known quantity. You've got Lawson, and if you if you watch back some of the races that he's been doing, he's been pulling off some amazing overtakes. His racecraft's been fantastic. His he's really matured and, and up the level. And the tracks in Japan as well, they're not easy to make race cars go fast around. There's not a big margin for error. There's it's barriers close by, lots of grass. So yeah, he's potentially gone away and learned something that would actually make him more diverse compared to the current level of drivers that just stayed in Europe, where we've got lots of nice tarmac runoff and, and tracks that you've been driving for the last ten years. So. There's that. And then, yeah, I've, poor Nick. Poor Nick. You, you know, the, the problem is- We're kind we of all, just assuming he's already been sacked, haven't we? <laughs> I, th- I think the problem is they wanted to see some level of improvement and we haven't really seen anything where he's taken a step up. We've not seen him take the fight to Sonoda. We've not seen him do the exceptional qualifying. We've not seen him 
even you know just it's just stopping the the crashes and the the silly errors that's kind of like being the pressure and you know he is really every every mistake now is one mistake closer to the end of it unfortunately um but i i don't know i still stand by i love seeing new drivers get their opportunity but i just love to see even if it's just for half a season you you have lawson ready waiting let him focus on super formula bring back danny rick let's see what he can do because he just he's just he looks like the danny rick of old and and equally you know which other formula one drivers have we seen go away and come back with a new lease of life and you know actually elevate their level there's there's one in a green race car that's doing a pretty good job right now isn't he i'd, I'd say maybe as well hulkenberg Hul- yeah. maybe even a magnuson as well both had stints away obviously they're not front runners at the moment or have, haven't really been but you're right actually it can do you a world of good and you but you've got to be of a certain caliber i think to be able to leave and then come back because a lot of people once you once your foot's out the door you, you're gone you know you're yesterday's yeah. news so I don't know. I I still, although I'm the first to always give Nick DeVries the the, the, the worst performer you're of the changing week. Changing the tune now. No, I don't know. I just I feel he's got Brent. It's Brendan Hartley vibes. Does that yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I know exactly what you mean. Who who got the shot in F1 kind of a bit out of nowhere, having been a youngster in F1 on the fringes and gone away from its sports cars. And I feel like Red Bull kind of ran out of talent for a short while and gone, <laughs> okay, Brendan, come back. We need you. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, he's a world endurance champion. He's a, he's actually a really good racer. He worked as a Mercedes development driver back in the day, similar to DeVries, you know, a little bit older, FE champ, F2 champ, works with, I think he was an Audi junior, a Mercedes junior, a McLaren junior. He's been everybody's junior, but then isn't delivering on what we all thought. But that's all compounded, isn't it? As you said, by Yuki Tsunoda, who has taken, I think it's fair to say, a massive step up. Everyone loves Yuki. Everyone's impressed by him. But where where do you think he goes from here? Because he doesn't want to stay at an AlphaTauri that's at the back of the pack. Equally, will Red Bull consider... Uh, uh, Sonoda as a as a Sergio Perez replacement. Um, he's got a contract at the end of next year, Checo. Or what I think is actually more likely is potentially an Aston Martin switch because they've got Honda coming in a few years for the new power unit regulations. Obviously, there's a caveat of well, you got Alonso, will he stay there? Will he go? You've got you got the son of the, <laughs> son of the team boss. Um, Slight, what's he gonna slightly do? complicated situation there. But I, I, your I own think son. Honda would want to say in who their driver is. And I mean, Yuki Tsunoda, surely prime candidate. I think if he keeps developing the way that he is, then yeah, he has to. I mean, the whole Honda project really started and we we saw a lot of Honda juniors coming through the, the junior ranks because it was, it was Honda's dream to get the Japanese kid to Formula One. And they, I think they, you know, Yuki was massively rushed through the system. Um, he found himself in Formula One. He did have a, a challenging first few years, but he's really settling into his own, which kind of goes back to the DeFries argument of should he be given more time? It's circumstance related, isn't mm. it? Um, but yeah, if, if he continues to do what he's doing and settling into the sport, making himself as popular as he is, and but also backing it up with the results, then it would be a complete no-brainer, especially with the car at the front, because it would be their best chance of leaving that Honda legacy of, you know, all the way from, I don't know if Yuki did karting, but I know certainly he did F4, all the way through from F4 into Formula 1 to becoming a race winner. So I I think it would be it would be silly not to do it, but where do you find the seat? Because you've got Alonso delivering, you've got the, you know, the boss's son in the other seat, which makes life very complicated. And um, 
and yeah, I think Yuki's probably, if he keeps doing the job, of course, at some point he's going to want to break free of, of racing in the midfield because yeah, he's going to feel like he's, he's entitled to fight for, or at least give himself the chance to fight for wins. Love. But um, love I think a lot of it's really, well, a lot of it's going to depend as well on what happens with Verstappen, because if it's like, I well, was going on. back. Natalie has asked on Twitter, do you think Max would leave Red Bull? At some point, maybe. I mean, if you're a Ferrari or a Mercedes or something, if if the person that's beating you and you can't stop them beating you is in a car, the only way to stop them beating you is to lure them away from the package that's so successful. And, you know, people like money um, and challenges. So we're not dealing with, with small small companies here. And I was, I was watching back through the other day, I was watching back through of, of some of the best moments from Red Bull Ring because obviously we've got the race coming up and... Mm. And there was, I think it was 2019 where Max won and you see him celebrating and loving life. And it was like amazing. And now it's a, yeah, good job, guys. Another faultless performance. Cool. He's bored. At some point, I, I, you know, and he's, he's not out there saying, well, I want to break records. I want to be the best formula. He's like, well, I'll keep doing it for as long as I want. So maybe at some point he could be lured away, you know. Everyone, I think, is a Ferrari fan. Maybe not him. He's maybe the one exception. But everyone's a Ferrari fan or and, and long-term as well. Do you want to actually prove to everyone that you were... It wasn't just the car. It was you. Mm. And that's the next chat. So I think a lot of it's going to depend on where Max goes. But he is one of the most difficult-to-read drivers of probably Formula 1 ever. Because you don't really... Everyone assumes one thing and then he goes and does another. So... Who knows where we're going to be in a few years' time? I see Max going off and starting and managing his own team in like sports cars or something. I, that's what I, I could, racing and being a team manager, I think I can see him in the not too distant future doing that. I don't think he would make a very nice team manager, but I think he'd be very <laughs> successful. <laughs> I, I, I think we'd see Max, I like Max and Yoss at Le Mans 24 has to happen. It, oh just, my God. it just has to happen. It's only it a matter of time. It's only a matter and they'll probably win. And what a story that would be. Yeah, that would be, that would be epic. Uh, it is cool to see more and more F1 drivers sort of doing, doing Le Mans and things like that. Um, With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Guys, you'll know from our streams that I love my clothes. And if you're happy in your clothes, you feel good, right? That's why I want to tell you about a clothes brand I think you'll love, Roan. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Their comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. And if, like me, you hate ironing, definitely, you'll love these clothes even more because they're completely hassle-free. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. What's more, with Gold Fusion Anti-Odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. Roan were kind enough to send me some clothes, and I love that they're both comfy and smart, something that's incredibly difficult to find. 
So why don't you give Roan a try? The commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash WTF1 and use the promo code WTF1 to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash WTF1 and use the code WTF1. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Back to the show. Obviously, there's a huge amount of talent out there that want to be in Formula One. But you look at F2 really as the logical pool to to take your next drivers from. But should F1 be looking more at IndyCar in America and their kind of top talent? Last year, there was rumblings of Colton Herter maybe to Alpha Tauri. But then there was the whole thing about, does he have enough super license points? Can we make an exception? IndyCar should really be scoring more in terms of super license points than, than F2. And Alex Pelot is obviously linked with the McLaren F1 team, as is a Pato Award in IndyCar. So they've got more and more... McLaren have their own team in IndyCar. So they've got more and more links. So could we be seeing somebody like a, a Pelot or an Award or, you know, a Herter again being seriously considered? I think, yes, that we should be. Like, Formula One is is the top level of motorsport, right? And it, it is for a reason. But... I don't really understand how, you know, like when, when there was the, the talk of Colton Herder not having enough super license points and everything. I think if you're racing at the top level of American motorsport, it should be considered in a very similar, I mean, the Indy 500 is one of the biggest races in the world, if not the biggest. So if you're good enough to race in that, how can you not be, you know, deemed eligible to get a shot in Formula One? Mm. And that kind of blows my mind. And if you, if you look at the cars, it's not like we're talking, you know, you're driving the equivalent like an F3 car. The cars are heavy. They're hard to drive. They have a lot of aero. They have their own challenges. There's tire deck. There's there's a lot of differences, but there's also a lot of similarities that mean that if you can make one of those go fast, you should be at least given the chance, if the opportunity presents itself, to be able to to go and you know try your hand at Formula One if a team's interested in you. And Alex Palau is a really interesting one for me because he kind of came up through the junior ranks didn't necessarily have a great deal of budget behind him. That's why he never went the, the fully traditional route of like F3, F2. And he's he's coming to his own in IndyCar. I mean, if you just look at the results he's he's achieving at the moment, he's he's on a roll. I mean, from the Indy road course just before the 500, took pole off, as far as I'm aware, won the race. Was on to win the 500 after taking pole. Got crashed into by v- Remus VK in the pit lane. Still finished in the top five, I believe. Or he was in the mix of the top five at the end. It was obviously chaos at the end and, uh, you know, after the last lap Should have been Ericsson. Should have. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up um, too soon. And then he's gone on and he's just he's just winning. And I, I'm pretty sure he won again in Road America last week. So, you know, we're looking at a, a guy who's definitely worthy of a shot. He has the link. He's done it the non-traditional route. He's not done it with a huge deal of financial backing. Why are we not considering him? But where do you, not- you put him? He's not. He's not a Norris replacement. He's not. A, Piastri, I think, is pretty good. So you, he's not going to go to McLaren. But this this is okay. I think I I understand the point, isn't it? It's like there's not enough seats. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind. Of, this is the problem with Formula One. We need forty drivers on the grid. Ooh. There's too much talent, and there's not enough seats. Yeah, that is the thing, though, isn't it? it? It it's so cutthroat. So you know who who gets the chopping block, and and where's the logical route as well? Because as we all know, Formula One's political, sponsorship led. Have you got the right passport? It all it all plays a factor, doesn't it? But I think we're in agreement that Pelot definitely does need to be considered. And I think IndyCar top talent does need to be considered. Um, you mentioned Pelot coming up the, through the ranks stuff. He he did it with Carlos Sainz at one point. They were kind of um, 
good friends. Uh, and uh, Audi have announced recently that obviously they're coming into Formula One, taking over the, the Sauber operation in 2026. And they've just announced their first driver is a development driver. Is Neil Jarney, who is a, a prolific uh, sports car racer. How is he still around? It's I, impressive. He's, <laughs> he's, he's been on. around forever. <laughs> <laughs> he is clung on for dear life. But if you don't know who Neil Jarney is, have a Google. He's won lots of things with Porsche, ironically enough. Um, but was a, you know made his way up through the ranks. Um, he's been a, a, a development driver, but that's not the big scoop. The big scoop is that um, Carlos Sainz has come out and had to sort of deny that he has spoken with Audi about any kind of contract negotiation rumour, uh, saying he wants his Ferrari contract sorted this winter. But obviously, it's still a couple of years till Audi properly come in. Where do you see Sainz's future? Would you be mad to leave Ferrari, right? Because, you know, it's Ferrari. But at the same time, with the issues that are going on, I, could, I can see how Audi might be a, an appealing prospect. Well, especially with the, the family history, you know, there's there's yeah, more to yeah. it, isn't there, with, with Carlos Sainz Sr. and his rally background. There's there's a nice link there, isn't there? But I think a lot of it's going to come down to does Carlos believe that this is the place where he's going to be able to fight for a world championship? That's always if you've if you've proven yourself at the front of Formula One, that's the next question is okay, well where where's the team where I can take the next step and I can go and fight for a world championship? And you know, it's it's no secret that it doesn't look like it's Ferrari. We keep saying it year on year and year and year, but when was the last year that Ferrari realistically challenged for a championship properly? And when was the last time they won it? It's 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 a long time ago. Well, right. So, well, yeah, 2000, 2007. And that was also, you know, there was circumstances that yeah, helped Kimi yeah. Raikkonen and it was looking like a Lewis Hamilton championship until, you know, he went off in Shanghai. So we're kind of looking back and we're going, it's, you know, my maths isn't great, but it's what, 15, 15 years? since the last time they won. Are you really going to turn the culture around every time they seem like they're on and up? It drops back down again. So if I was signed, you'd be crazy not to. The other thing is waiting in the wings. You've got obviously Ollie Behrman doing an amazing job in F2. Yeah, It's just a matter of time now until... They're not the going to plug him straight into Ferrari though, are they? Well, why, if, if he goes and, and wins F2 in his rookie year, why not? But But... Ferrari where, now actually where now else, where now, else is he going to go? Where well, else is he going to go? Super Formula. <laughs> so <we've had> this <laughs> but now it's a real conundrum Indica. actually. Indica. But now it's a real conundrum actually because w- with the Sauber Alfa Romeo kind of unofficially Ferrari junior team where they've had placed their young talent, you know, Leclerc, Giovinazzi as a sort of holding pen to see whether they can then make the jump to to Ferrari. That's going to go because it's going to be Audi now. So absolutely not. You've got Haas who who have Ferrari engine and do have a little base in Marinello, but they've they've made it pretty clear that Ferrari don't really have any kind of say in terms of their driver lineup. I think they're quite happy with the Hulkenberg Magnussen lineup, really at the moment, at least. So so where does Bevan doesn't have any place to go? So Ferrari are in danger of losing a sort of junior team and losing out on on finding their next talent. This is, this is the biggest question when you start discussing driver. Like this is why F1 silly season is actually so good because it's it's such a defined little box that you have. Yeah. But there's so many possibilities on the outside because the box is so small and I, you, you can't lose out on a talent like Behrman. Like if you look at what he's done in F4, obviously F3 was a little bit more tricky at the start, but then he came into his own again. And, and what he's doing in F2, I mean, just look at what he did in Baku. 
he literally took pole after hitting the wall and the steering wheel was was completely bent. Ran <laughs> so good. So you're kind of sad that you, you can't lose out on this kid. You can't 100%. But if there's no space for him, what do you do? Because especially when you've got someone who's got this momentum, what do you, you know, what what's the next step with where do you put him? Because if you take the year out, you also run the risk of losing it, don't you? So I, I like I said, the only answer as unofficial president of the FIA to be when they get their reprimand soon. We're not forgetting, we're not forgetting about that. The FIA is not off the leash just yet. No. no. 40 cars. 40, 40 cars. 40 cars. <laughs> 40 cars around Zandvoort. Yeah, that'll go down really well. Make it make it like F4, cap it at 36. That's a good grid. And watch the carnage ensue. It'd be How's amazing. Mon- yeah, what's Monaco going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> Insane. Fantastic. Well, uh, that's the beauty. I think it's actually in the build-up to these new power unit regulations coming in. Also, potentially, we might have a, n- a new team on the grid as well, at least one. There will be two more seats, hopefully, up for grabs. But at the same time, it's going to be a critical couple of years because you've got what's Lewis Hamilton going to do contract extension on the way, but how much longer is he going to go on for Alonso? Yeah, we know he's really good at the moment, but he is getting in. He's into his forties now. How much longer will he want to do? And will he be capable of doing Um, Leclerc? Will he grow tired of being at Ferrari? You've got further down Bottas, you know, kind of needs better performance at Alfa Romeo I think and if it's going to you know he'll get he's going to be want to be part of the Audi operation I'm sure but that's not a foregone conclusion so what does Norris do as well at McLaren is he going to be happy there I think it's a really critical time in terms of driver lineups it may well be one of those years where it's all hype and then nothing happens but in the next two (laughs) to three years there's going to be an explosion as 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 you said as the older drivers leave as teams as drivers start to get desperate who aren't winning who think that they potentially can I yeah, it's going to be an exciting few years as all of this develops. And this is just going to be the little spark that hopefully sets everything off. We love God. carnage. We just super, love it. So. Super Formula next year is going to be great, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> so, super Formula in IndyCar. Wow. Um, well, uh, that, that's a lot of the driver rumor going on. We could chat all day about that. But there's also more rumor coming in. This is where it gets a little bit technical. Um, cost cap. Uh, there's some some interesting developments within the, co- the cost cap, uh, which hasn't... Uh, officially been sort of formally announced by the FIA. It's been rumoured and, and lots of uh, publications are verifying it as well, where the, basically the FIA has closed a, a possible loophole in the regulations to prevent teams from making use of staff outside of spending restrictions. So, Calla, I mean, you were explaining this to me earlier. You described it quite well. So what does this actually mean? Well, it's not like Formula One teams to interpret regulations in the way that they <laughs> want for their own personal gain. I think it's worth saying that. That's why nothing's been made official, probably, because, you know, why would Formula One teams bend the rules? Mm. Um, but basically, it, your, your big teams, they have branches that aren't necessarily Formula One divisions. Obviously, the cost cap is to try and make the sport fair for the smaller teams as well as the big teams. They can't just throw loads of money on to make the cars quicker. So there's a restriction on, on how much you can spend. Now, the big Formula One teams have gone, well, you know, We've we've set up this division, which is working on, you know, the America's Cup yacht races, and maybe something might come across from there, but it's just for yacht racing. It's not for Formula One, we swear. And the FIA have gone, cool, we believe you. However, <laughs> however, as it turns out, it's now come to light that actually some of the stuff that they were learning there is being brought into Formula One. And that's obviously putting the smaller teams at a massive disadvantage and completely negates the idea of a cost cap. So Basically, what the FIA is trying to do is is trying to give those teams a chance to say, look, well, 
we're going to do some investigation into it. It's, it's kind of, as you said, it's kind of unofficial now. I think it's, it's, it's technical directive 45, I think it's called. TD45. Oh yeah. He's got it down. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's now going to be like a, well, all the outside spending outside of the formula one umbrella, we're going to be taking that into account. And if stuff's coming back across, then obviously we're not going to, we're not going to let it slide. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Obviously we've seen lots of the big formula one teams branching out. Like I said, some America's cup racing stuff with bike racing, you know, like there's road, it's cars. Basic road car development because they, you know, that's what they say is the whole purpose of formula one anyway, um, is for development for the road cars, especially the big manufacturers. So and a, lot of that, a lot of that technology is transferable. If you have a team of 150, 200 people working on that, of course, they're going to learn stuff that they can take and applied ideas into Formula One. So that's, I, I, I'd like to see them clamp down on how they do it. I don't know because I'm sure the structures in place put in by the big teams who are doing it, they, they know what they're doing is a bit of a gray area. So for sure, they've protected themselves against it. But I'd like to see the FIA clamp down because it may well be something that actually so, you know, sparks the fight in a, a smaller team being able to take on the big manufacturer or at least get closer. Now, as most of you will know, the British Grand Prix is coming up very shortly and you could win a dream weekend there with us, thanks to MoneyGram. They are offering an incredible weekend experience for two people at our WTF1 Clubhouse at Silverstone. You'll enjoy weekend access to the WTF1 Clubhouse campground, including accommodation in a two-person bell tent, food and drinks for four days, dinner in Whittlebury Hall Hotel on one night, hotel and pool wristband access and buggy transfers to and from the clubhouse to the circuit entrance. All you have to do to enter is download the MoneyGram app via the link in the podcast description and enter the code WINBIGUK. That's W-I-N-B-I-G-U-K, all one word, when you send money. The closing date for entries is June 29th, this Thursday, and the winner will be drawn at random. Terms and conditions can be found at WTF1.com slash MoneyGram dash terms dash and dash conditions now back to the show yeah yeah no that's a good point well actually garib nri on twitter in the wider cost cap um context is it and all the saving homologations ruining actually the chances for teams to develop and have innovative solutions um in my opinion, yes, even with the cost cap, top teams are way ahead uh, of the back end, same as pre-cost cap era. So there is still a disparity. But I suppose the idea is, I think I think Haas is one of the teams this year, this was the first time that they could actually spend up to the full the full cost cap, which, which this year is um, 135 million uh, euro, um, I think, or dollar, one of them. And, but that's, this is only the first time they're able to do that. Whereas they, so they're 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 spending more than they ever would, but then Red Bull, Mercedes are having to make cuts left, right, and center. So it's a weird it's a weird balancing act, which isn't which I suppose the payoff isn't immediate. Is that is that is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's going to take time, isn't it? And I this is this is again like a a bit of a take on it, but I think part of the problem of introducing a cost cap and then comparing it to before is Formula One cars. Motorsport in general is more complicated now, right? Mm. Like back in, if you take 20 years ago, we didn't have hybrid technology. We didn't have all the extra gimmicks like DRS and everything like that. Like they all add cost because they're innovation. And the problem is now, the more innovative you have to be to make a race car go faster, the more of an advantage it is to have bigger facilities, better people and more money. And that's just a, a fact, isn't it? And that's why I think the cost cap is a great idea on paper, but doesn't necessarily work because the teams that still have better people, 
you know, because they're the manufacturer they are, they have more facilities, they have more, more in depth R and D they have, it's spread across a wider net. Of course, they're going to succeed faster. Um, and especially as we've already kind of highlighted, the cost cap isn't really a cost cap because you can just maneuver your way around to find different ways. So I think it's, again, it's a lovely idea on paper, but it needs to be actually enforced in a proper way that it is this much. And if you mm. can't spend up to the cost cap, is the cost cap too high for the, the teams? But then the argument would be, if you can't afford to spend it, should you be in Formula 1? It's, it's, no one yeah. ever wins out of this. If no. you're a big team, you think it's terrible. And if you're a small team, you think it's terrible. And if you're a team in the middle, you just, you're just sort of there and you think you could probably see either side but you want to be where the big teams are i still think it's better than 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 not having one because it was 100 it was 140 when the cost cap came in then now it's 135 but it's supposed to go down sort of incrementally year on year so ideally that's going to get better for the the smaller teams but i still think it's way better having some kind of regulation even if there are loopholes and ways to get around it and there's there's loopholes in everything in formula one if you find it you you know you do it that's what they've got they've got whole teams just looking to find loopholes and ways they can get some slight advantage right but you know look before where we had i think what 2010 we had three new teams come in and under the the premise of of a cost cap that never kind of appeared and so they just were so outspent by everybody else on the grid they just couldn't keep up and it was almost as you know what what's the point in them being there they had their own little championship fight for you know 10th 11th and 12th who it was all about who could get 10th and the constructors and it's like well that's not really that interesting in the grand scheme of things i'd much rather have an incredibly tight midfield or you know vying for the odd podium here or there or you know the, the latter end of the points at least i think with the cost cap it allows for that possibility and for the long-term safety and security of teams coming in. hundred yeah. percent. And, and also I think like an important narrative of all of this as well, obviously I'm, I'm only 27 and I'm not an F1 expert by any stretch, but you never really heard back in the day of, of equality and, and equality across the teams being spoken about in Formula One. Like there was never a time in the 2000s from what I remember when I was, you know, first like falling in love with the sport. I never heard Ferrari or McLaren go, oh, well, we should really start thinking about the small teams or anyone for that matter. It was like, well, they've got more money, they're spending it, they're winning. So obviously this is kind of like a new step in for the sport over the last sort of 10 years of of understanding it. And it's a very complex world. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. So it's not going to be perfect. It's going to take another five, 10 years, but hopefully if the effort is keep brought into it, they refine the process of it. As you say, it not only is, secures the stability of the smaller teams, which allows them to grow and hopefully become a midfield team, which then maybe leads to a front running team, but also makes it more inviting for other people to come into Formula One and, and grow as a sport. So mm. I think, you know, nothing nothing as complex as this gets fixed in a couple of years, does it? Well, exactly. Well, let's see how it all plays out over the next uh, few weeks and months. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, though. Uh, just enough time to have a look forward to this weekend. It's race week. It's Austria race week. We're going back to the Styrian Mountains uh, in Spielberg. It's a sprint weekend as well. Second one of those we had this year after Baku, where obviously Leclerc did very well. Um one of the rare times he's gone well this season. Um, I, I just completely forgot about the race last year where he won. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I yeah. was like, oh well it was it was Max Dominate. I was at the race with one of our drivers in F three and I I completely forgot he won the race. Yeah, mental, right? Mental. Well, how, how how things have changed in a year for Charles. I mean so I mean are you looking are you looking forward to Austria? 
Because I feel I like... I love Austria. I mean, I love it. I just feel like it's a track... I just feel like we've had a lot of it in the last couple of years. And uh, because we had like the double headers there when we had COVID and stuff. Like we had Austria it's and then we so had Styria. Good. And I just feel like we know Austria super well now. It is a good track. It's a cool backdrop. But I don't know. Just a bit bored. Yeah, but the, the, okay. So any fans out there... It is one of the races you have to attend just for the Max Verstappen fans or the the McLaren yeah, fans, yeah. depending on who you view them as. It's just seas of orange. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it, I remember being sat at the grandstand last year watching the flares go off on lap one. And I was like, what an environment. Like that in Zandvoort, in terms of atmosphere, I've been going to racetracks for the last 10, whatever, 15 years, never seen anything like it. It's so good. So that that I think means it's earned its place. We have, well, we have a lot of good racing there. We've had a lot yeah, of. Yeah, no, like, no, you're right. We, That's why I'm like, I'm not completely bashing it. I'm just like, oh, we go there a lot, don't we? But uh, you know, I'm not completely bashing it. I'm not. And and we, it's one of those places where it's not, you know, it's in the Austrian mountains. It's it's a lovely backdrop. It's a yeah, great, yeah. It's a great circuit. There's lots of overtaking. And the other thing is sometimes, you know, it's not adverse to extreme weather in some others. There's lots of things that could happen that actually shake it up for a good race. And even if it's not affected by weather, we do actually see a lot of passing. So. It's one of those places where, especially, you know, depending on what corner numbers you use, turn one's an overtaking opportunity, but then after the DRS zone into turn three, turn four, you can follow fairly easily. We've seen cars break with those baguette curves on the exit of turn uh, 10 and 11. I think it is the last two corners. There's always there's always a bit of drama. Mm. So I, I for one, I'm looking forward to it. I going to move in nicely and say what's your predictions oh wait are we going to do like a one two three or should we just do like a bold prediction bold prediction because i I know who i'm going to say is one two three well exactly so i think my bold prediction i'm just going to keep saying this until it actually happens uh yuki sonoda sixth place finish uh in the alpha tower that's what i'm gonna that's my bold prediction really yeah i just what this is not an attack by the way i just want to know what backs it up I just, want to uh, I just want to know where, where are we going I, with this? I think, as you say, Austria can tend to lead. There can be a few collisions. There can be beached cars in the gravel very easily. Um, I think Sonoda's obviously the pace speaks for himself. He's on a good one. Uh, home home race for, for Alpha Tauri, one of their home races, you know, with the Red Bull link. Um, and I just, I want, I want sixth place for Sonoda. <laughs> that's, that's all, that's all I'm going for. That's where my evidence is. Well, I, I would love to see that. I think we'd all love to see that happen. Um, so Go on then. Agreed. What's yours? My, I I think Alex Alban's going to have another really good weekend. I think oh, he's going to okay. smash himself into the top 10. And my, and my reason for that, before we've got to back, up, back it up with facts, I think Red Bull Ring is a track that prioritizes high speed and big stops, which is fairly similar to Montreal. So it kind of plays into his hands. Yeah, he, yeah. He didn't, he didn't go backwards in the race. His race pace was really strong. It wasn't just a crazy qualifying that meant that he was at the front. And I, I just, I think the car looks strong at low downforce tracks. It's going to depend how they gel with the tire compound. Obviously, they bring this weekend, but I just see Alex Holman on the up. He's, he, I just, I just want to see it happen. So I'm going to put it out there. And I think actually the the characteristics of the car would suit the circuit. It was good. It's good over bumps. It's good over changes of direction. It's and there's a lot of elevation change. A lot of like natural circuit features that make Red Bull Ring very challenging. And the car's good in a straight line and good on the brakes. So why not? Let's put it out there for Alex Holman couple of crashes he's in the top six maybe a williams podium 
No, come on. You were actually, you, uh, you, were, you were being so like, I, I was feeling, I was feeling bad because I was like, oh God, my answer was really rubbish compared to yours. And then you come out with that. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I can okay, see no that. Chance, but let's, let's, we can, we can hope. We didn't speak, uh, uh, Logan Sargent, uh, possibly under pressure for his seat as well. Mike, uh, Mick Schumacher being mentioned all of a sudden, but for some reason, we all give Sergeant a bit more of a break than we do Dick DeVries. Don't know why, but that's Formula 1 for you, isn't it? Uh, we don't have time to go into that. We'll go into it next week. Um, thank you very much for all your questions. I uh, really appreciate it. We didn't get through all of them, but we'll carry them over to next week and get them answered uh, because we shall be back uh, same time after Austria to look back at everything Spielberg. It's a sprint weekend as well, so we basically get two races now in a weekend because the sprint doesn't really affect uh, the Sunday Grand Prix anymore. Uh, those are our bold predictions. What are yours? Let us know in the comments section and on social media uh, keep up to date with all things WTF1 by going to the website follow us on social media uh, and uh, Callum O'Keefe and myself Harry Benjamin we'll see you next week bye bye with LinkedIn Jobs we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.